Welcome to the No Sex Please, I'm Religious podcast, exploring the attitude of religion to that four-letter word, S-E-X. Well, it might as well be a four-letter word. For 2,000 years and more, religion has had its own way with sex. It's a history of shame, not celebration. In fact, the way some religious people speak of sex, you'd think it was God's biggest mistake. With humour, pathos and passion, we explore sex, the church and temple. Please, if you listen and value the podcast, buy us a beverage so that we can support current victims of sex shame, LGBTIQ refugees throughout the world. Links to our donation pages can be found in the notes and on our website, www.nosexplease.com.au. Kath Connolly, Dr. Kath Connolly, and Dr. Brian Coogan. Hello. Brian and I are the only doctors without, uh, well, not, not without borders, but without any training or knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Please um, join, join the ranks. <laughs> oh, look, I just wanted to bring up that thing that you, the question that you asked towards the end where you said, you know, if you're not actually able to, to love yourself, you're really not able to love other people. And I'm just, I just really thought, you can't embrace who you are. You can't love others or God. And that's so true. Uh, and I, I think as, as Christians, we, we kind of talk about that sense of loving each other, but we don't really talk about loving and accepting our body and our sexuality and all those sorts of things uh, because, you know, we don't really want to think about that too much or touch it too much. Uh, yeah, that's such a great, such a great comment of yours. And you went on further and said if we can't love ourselves, we can't love Earth, we can't love anything at all, we can't love animals. It, it's just this no. complete dualistic thinking that we would be separate from ourselves and therefore be separate from, as well as that extension of that is we're separate from everything. Yeah. And as you well, say. The early, te- the, the early teachings of the, of the church and Augustine and uh, Origen and, and all these different people uh, based on Plato and Aristotle was to separate the body from the spirit. So the only thing that's worthwhile is the spirit, right? But the stuff you see, touch and feel doesn't really matter. And so the, out of yes. that came this horror of sex. Yes. Um, and, and another sexuality. layer, oh, sorry, but another layer on top of that is to say that the mind is better than the body and the mind is the domain of men and the body is the domain of women. And so we yeah. have this complete separation of saying women, therefore, this is part of the beginning of the of this that women therefore are of the earth are are so much lesser than man because we dwell in body things whereas you whereas men are about the important work which is of the mind dangerous 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 very dangerous and yet that's been the teaching of of many churches and Mm. it's underlying under underlays is the foundation of so much of uh, the Christian uh, interpretation of religion, and uh, it also then goes into other religions as well. We'll we'll stick with the Christian side of things for the moment. But, but look, we've just listened to the interview I did early this morning with uh, Dr. Tina um, in in uh, in Seattle, and she's an um, she is an amazing woman. And, uh, and uh, the book that I have just read of hers, I don't know whether you can see it, but uh, Sex. God and the conservative church erasing shame from sexual intimacy. It took 10 Sorry, years Brian? to write. That, that really yeah, stuck it took in my mind. 10 years to write, write a book. Yeah. And no doubt yeah. she really is really living it as well as at the same time. But I just thought that was remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, 
What, what do you, what do you both take out of? Were there highlights of the interview that you want to talk about? I thought it was extraordinary that in her teaching of students and getting them to write an essay about their sexual understanding of themselves, that she noticed a real change in the year 2000 where everything became suddenly more repressive in what their students mm-hmm. were writing about, that suddenly she was finding mm-hmm. an abstinence culture coming in and this was at the same time as a much greater swing to the far right in America, that mm-hmm. the abstinence, so, so politics and religion being intimately entwined as, yeah. as they do seem to be more so in the United States and here in Australia, but, but very interesting to be able to actually track uh, through her essays that there was a much more repressive sense of self mm. at the same time as politics was going to more to the right. Very interesting. Mm. And that too is the, um, the rise of the what would Jesus do bracelets and this, are you aware of those bracelets that just said WWJD? What would Jesus do? And the answer is Jesus would not do what you would like to do, what your body would like to do. What would Jesus do is always going to be a negative, repressive answer rather than what would Jesus do, I would think, would be to step into love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so ironic, isn't it, that the bracelet was actually made to stand for the exact opposite thing of what it really should you know, what really Jesus actually represented and stood for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you, do, you, do you see that uh, with some of that stuff there's a huge amount of pride? So, and, and even in the abstinence, the, the alcohol abstinence movement, because that, that was something that they got little children to sign up to in Sunday school. Yes. And they would sign a pledge. This is many, many years ago. And I've seen adults, people of my own age, who were proud of the fact that alcohol had never touched their lips. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that you have to drink, but it's, it's this, this what I call a false pride that, yeah. that doesn't really add to your humanity or your, your Christianity. And maybe that's a, a red herring, but come back, coming back to the sex stuff, I mean, the, the damage that was done to so many people in this abstinence movement, you know, where where young people end up for it, and so they, they didn't date, you know, yeah. there's no kissing, yeah. um, anything like that. And so then, then suddenly they sign up to marry someone because they think they're the right person and, and they actually get pressure in the church sometimes for that or, or from family, particularly if they're getting older, you know, and then they, they get into this relationship thing where hey, they don't know what to do. That's right. No, Nad- yeah, Nadia Boltz Weber very much picks up this theme in her book on Shameless, and we do hope to be interviewing her sometime for the podcast about this. Yeah, she's saying so many people that she interviewed for this are entering marriage having not even kissed because they're so worried about what would Jesus do? Jesus will watch yeah. you if you kiss your person you're about to marry, and, and you you will no longer be blessed. I mean, it's so sad, so destructive, so destructive. Well, it is. And and, and and then out of that, sorry, Brian. Oh, just thinking, it's just the complete opposite of life. And I mean, if we think back to, you know, like our bodies didn't just happen; they were made by somebody in a Christian framework, right? Uh, yeah. Our bodies didn't just happen; they were cre- they were created and designed by God. So nothing about our bodies is a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, even even for people who might be listening, who might be atheists. So they would they would, re- exactly. would reject some of what you've just said, Brian. But that's fair enough. But oh yes, if, if was, we've just come, yeah. up, no, no, that's fine. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I was I was, I'm not I was very specifically 
and and you made a great point. Thank you, because I was actually mindful of that as I was speaking. But right there, I was really just wanting to speak to Christians who who, who think that because atheists yes. probably don't have this problem. Uh, yeah, I actually don't think they do, and that's the weird thing because Christians seem to think they've got all the answers, or some of us did at some points. <laughs> and and um, you know thought, when you when you meet. That. You never thought that, no, I didn't oh, think no, you no. did. Kathy, you never thought Maybe that. Maybe we've just got all the hang-ups, not all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we do. Absolutely. Uh, well, maybe we carry the hang-ups for our brothers and sisters. What do you think? Oh, how sweet. How, 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 how generous of us, yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't think we could get into a debate about whether atheists have more hang-ups or not. I mean, <laughs> Christians, I don't, maybe we can, but... but Yes, I, I hear, Brian, what you're saying is our be- bodies are beautifully and wonderfully made. And, and just to be talking about sexuality with children is not going to suddenly make everyone race off and become pregnant, but rather it's going to be say, this is my beautiful body and I will learn to respect it. And so I will strongly be able to say no or yes when things are appropriate because I will know who I am as a person. I'll find my inner strength. I will be able to stand up and say, I am beautifully and wonderfully made, and I and I and no is no, and when it's time to say yes, then yes is yes. Absolutely, uh, you know, uh, when uh, when Tina was talking about uh, you know the silent shame, and then you think of the impact of that, and and you heard me say that you know if somebody says oh I don't have any sex shame, then then you ask the question of how how did you learn about sex. Where did you get it from? And if if it if your family was like my own family, my my own parents never ever talked about sex. Mm. And I can remember when I first discovered how people were made, imagining I couldn't imagine my parents having sex. And I think that's how most people who grow through through silence do. Now I have to confess that you know I've got four adult kids and I've never had a sex talk. To my own knowledge, with any of my kids, yeah. so you know, again, I've passed on that shame. If it's something we can't talk about, it is shameful, yeah. you know. And one, if, if you after you, uh, one thing that really stood out to me from the, her talk, and it's following exactly on that, is she saying people, Dr. Tina is saying people are shamed about their sexuality from the age of one year old. That as soon yes. as they yes. start to discover where their genitals reside in their body. They have adult figures saying, no, don't touch that, don't do that, don't explore that, don't be who you are from the age of 12 months old. An extraordinary insight and, and I'd have to agree with her. Well, I think so too. What? Well, let me ask you, either of you, if you're able to tell me, what, what's the first memory you have about knowledge of sex in any way? And it could be it could be the... Um, the which was the bird that used to fly in and drop the babies? The stork. The stork, yeah. the wonderful stork. <laughs> so what's your for, for earliest memory? Are you you're comfortable to say? I. It's funny, I don't know whether I blanked it out, but I don't have, I have, have a few. I do think I might remember a, a, a conversation with my mum when she said that this isn't, the storks isn't really the way it happens. Uh, I think she might have had that. Actually, literal telling us that the stalks weren't weren't real conversation. Uh, so that's that's something. But I, there wasn't very much said about it in the family context. I know that in the school we did have a class on a few classes on, on human sexuality and reproduction. 
uh, and yep. somebody else came in to teach those uh, in our, uh, I don't know what it was, biology or something, but they were actually really well taught. Uh, so I was impressed by how good the material was and it was actually taught in a way that was fascinating and quite positive, which was very unusual for a church school at that time. <laughs> I was actually, when Dr. Tina was talking, was reflecting on a very positive story that happened to me at about the age of five when I was at someone's, an adult party and we kids were sort of racing around and I went into one particular room and the only people in there was a mother breastfeeding her baby and I had never seen such a thing. And this woman, I remember it so clearly, she called me over and said, here, just have a look at what I'm doing. And she allowed me to sort of stand there. And I had no idea that babies got fed from the breast because we were all bottle fed and that was the area yeah. I grew up in. And yeah. it was a beautiful moment. And I was really embarrassed and knew also that I was kind of standing on sacred ground and how yeah. lovely for that woman to have invited me over just to watch this experience. So, yeah, that memory came back as Dr. Tina was talking <laughs> because because yeah. I have no memory of being told otherwise anything, as Brian's saying about sexuality. Yeah. I, I don't remember until sort of being 15, 16, 17, and here's the book, you better read this, given to me, yeah. Another, another wonderful – sorry, did you – you finished? Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, another, as you're talking, another thought that came to mind is that, that all of the marketing around us is based on, Tina, I think, said that in the US, but I think it's really well, probably almost universal that all of the marketing around us is based on getting us to hate our bodies and buy yeah. stuff to fix them. So we have this uh, ongoing onslaught of, of subtle sort of things saying, you know, here, your body's really pretty ugly. If you, if you get down to it. So why don't you buy this to fix it, you know, whether yes. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's new shaving cream for men or uh, whether it's a new bra or or, yeah. or special clothing that makes you look better or something. It's, it's just all around us all the time and I think it's really interesting to, I'm going to be walking around going, trying to look at things in a new light now to see whether they're actually saying those things. Yeah. That's a, such a good point, Brian, that we, we're being told every day that we are let less than, that we should be more, that we're not perfect, we're not right, we're not the perfect image of however that's defined. That's how advertising works, yeah. Well, didn't you love the story that Tina told about her aunt and what was the expression about the bra? It was a... Industrial a, a, strength. <laughs> industrial strength bra, which I thought was wonderful. But, you know, just walking on the beach and happy to just take take a top off and, and, the, and the thing was that, People weren't all looking around. Now, back in the Victorian era, I understand that... You're not that the, old, the most, are you? No, I'm not. I've read books. <laughs> <laughs> the, the most sexual part of a woman was her ankles. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. Were her, her ankles. Yeah. And that, you know, women wore their long dresses and so on, and if a man or another woman saw the ankles of another woman then, you know, um, that was a bit of a turn-on. Whereas the breasts, because they, they did breastfeed in public because it was a normal thing, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't such an issue. So, it's, it, you know, when you think of how what happens when society represses something, so you look back to uh, the, the, uh, the period in America in Prohibition, right? And so you, you, you prevent people from having alcohol. So what happens is you've got all these 
little clubs that open up, these secret places where people can go, the people who make the most money of it out of it are the mafia, right, the criminals. They make a fortune out of it. People are not stopped from getting alcohol. They find ways to do it. And then later on they learn that that's not the way to do it and take some, some money away from the criminals. And, of course, what's the same things happened with uh, drugs. And you have terrible, terrible things happening, murders, families split apart, and so on, all because of this illicit trade in drugs. Yeah. Whereas if it was legal, different story. You, yeah. come to, you come to sex. Because we have this sex-shaming thing, you can't talk about it. So there are adults my age who don't really understand very well about, you know, what happens with sex. There, 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 are, there are actually people who do. And, of course, the old, old way was that, you know, uh, the, you know the, there was a separation of men and women so, so powerfully the woman was there in, barefoot in the kitchen and pregnant and the man was out making the money, you know, um, and you still have people today who resist the rise of women in society, in politics, in whatever, you know. Uh, it, it's just and there's absurd. such sad stories around that. I, my mother tells me that her mother thought that she was dying every single month when she had her period because no, no one had ever told her what it was about her whole childhood or young adulthood. So every month yeah. she thought what? she was dying. And that is and, – and, okay, so she's my grandmother and, and long since passed, but um, how many other people are still caught up in this <sighs> – through, through lack of education, through lack of being just able to talk about these topics, what harm is being done? What hurt is happening out there? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And our well, particular look, focus, sorry, Brian, is on really being focused on those in refugee camps in, in Kenya who are having to leave their own country because to be homosexual in their own country is a death penalty. And so they find themselves in these refugee camps where, again, they are persecuted by other people who are told originally by missionaries that our body is not sacred and that if someone is caught in, in a homosexual act loving who they are loving, that they are worthy of being killed. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've we've come to learn a lot about that, us, us three and the others who work with us, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. And it's been a real eye opener, hasn't it? Yes. Such yeah. an eye. Did you have any Did you really have any idea how bad it was before we started? I remember working with one of our women in Kenya who has a child, a young child, as a result of being raped, and she was raped because she was seen as being a lesbian, and it was some way to, you know, she deserved this because she's a lesbian. We will rape her. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. I had no, I didn't know about it. I hadn't thought about it. I've got to admit that the plight of LGBTQIA plus people in Kenya ref, Kikuma refugee camp, I, I hadn't thought about it. It wasn't in my no. my happy middle class white Australian life. And, yeah. but, but that's all changed. That's all changed. And uh, that's why, as a Christian, I'm still angry with um, with the the hard right that want to target these people and take uh, a, a, a religion that is meant to be, and I'll use this word, humanitarian. Yeah. It's meant to care about yeah. the suffering of humanity and, mm. and look after the poor and look after the homeless and look after the marginalised. But what do we do mm. or what do they do? You know, 
Yeah. Brian, what, what, what thoughts have you got? Well, I'm actually thinking that, you know, as you're saying it, and is actually creating, uh, creating the suffering in this case. And I thought there was, I actually thought that Tina made, sorry, that several of my uh, comments have been church related, but I just thought that it's worth saying, so, uh, Tina was talking from a religious perspective and saying that, you know, people say religion is the problem. But uh, what she actually takes away from that is the church is the problem. Yeah. And in, in, in particular, the way the church is implementing certain, certain things and getting certain things wrong. Uh, and look, let's face it, as churches, we're human and we get things wrong. And we need to be willing to learn and change and listen to things, uh, and including listening to people who perhaps come from different religions or faiths or atheists. And, and, and often they have a lot to teach us. And, and I think real humility is saying, oh, you know, what you're saying is great and I'm learning from it. Uh, even yeah. if you're not talking from a perspective of, of faith, because, you know, as I think atheists would, would tell us very rightly, sometimes it's possible to really hide behind the whole God thing and not actually uh, engage with reality. And we need to have our feet on the ground. And that's really what I saw in the life of Jesus is that he was a very ordinary, very, well, ordinary in some ways, but very, very earthy. He was a carpenter. He had his feet on the ground. He was out there on sitting with the fishermen who were dirty and smelly and, you know, getting into life and and that's what he would have us do, you know. So what would Jesus do is get into bloody life and enjoy ourselves. And that means drinking yeah. a glass of wine or or enjoying sex when it happens, whatever, or just enjoying uh, the fact that we have some a sexual identity about us and 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 being at peace with that. Uh, anyway, I love to I love to comment there. It really set me off to to thinking, and, and also I think also is you know how how am I passing this on? How am I part of this problem? Uh, what can I do to make things better for everybody around me? Yeah. is one of my takeaways. Uh, and I'd go to the positive side of saying also so many good things are being done by people who also would call themselves Christian. So oh, yes. The, so this so place of, yeah, yeah. This place of yeah. compassion that we, that we hopefully work towards all the yes. time that in that I am loved, so too do I love others. And that's a yeah. stance of... What yeah. about those lovely people who have responded... Uh, Kath and Brian, when we've asked for help, yeah. those lovely people who have given sacrificially to, to try and save a life, yeah. to, to, to feed people. Every month we have a crisis for rents in Nairobi. These people who can't live in the camps because of the dangers are told to, to move to Nairobi. There they go. They're looked after for roughly three months, we understand, and then they're on their own, but they're not allowed really to work and if they can get work they're probably not going to get paid because they'll be recognized as queer and uh, you know we'll just abuse these people get some blood and blood and sweat out of them and then you know get rid of them beat them up and they've gone so the only way they survive is because of good people who who give something so please folks can you give um give us a cup of coffee something more something that 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 you're able to share to keep another human being alive. These are not gay people. They're not lesbians. They're not trans people. They are human beings, just like you and me. Who happen to and, love uh, who they love. And, and what about their children as well? You know, yeah. let's not condemn them for any reason. Let's love them. And the cost Brian. of keeping someone alive per month is, is probably roughly two or three cups of coffee a month. So if you're with, that's a sort of, if you were able to do that, that makes a huge difference. It's a huge difference. So we'll put uh, links on the podcast itself 
uh, for you to either make a donation directly into Humanity in Need, Rainbow Refugees, uh, or through one of the other links we have, the money still reaches us and goes to help these people. We've got a feeding program in Akama where the people survive on something like two weeks of very, very basic rations per month, very yeah. basic, and they can't survive. So we are supplementing that. Kath, you've got women who who just can't get sanitary products that are needed every month. That's right. And so we're supplementing that as well. So please help us. Next podcast will be just as exciting as this one. Thank you. See you then. Bye. Please support this podcast by visiting www.nosexplease.com.au. Your generous support will save lives of queer refugees in Africa who are doing it really tough because they are being victimised by a religious and cultural belief that they are evil. www.nosexplease.com.au Thank you.